Welcome to LilyPod episode 10, Get Real with Amy Nielsen Biesinger. We have a very exciting show for you today and uh, have a special guest, uh, Amy Nielsen Biesinger. She graduated from Brigham Young University with a degree in recreation management and youth leadership and became a certified therapeutic recreation specialist working for years with diverse special needs people. Uh, and that included troubled youth and individuals with addictions or learning disabilities such as autism. In that capacity, she founded the Therapeutic Recreation Department at Scenic View Academy and uh, there led co-therapy experiential groups with clinicians. She also founded the charity Hope Faith Model for Recovery and trained uh, all other staff members in that highly effective methodology. After the suicide of a close family member, Amy became passionate about elevating the culture and preventing suicides. And she gained more empathy and tools for recovery and for helping others after personally experiencing depression herself. Amy resides in Saratoga Springs, Utah with her two children, David and Emma. She performs consulting work and volunteer work while also pursuing a master's degree in social work. She learned to speak both Cantonese and Mandarin while serving as a missionary in Hong Kong. Uh, Amy is a co-founder of the Get Real Foundation with Jenny Lynn Pryor and Becky McIntosh, which has evolved from their life experiences and mutual passion for helping others. So Amy, we sure welcome you to the show and we're glad to have you today. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. And we appreciate you being on Amy, um, could we start by asking you what is the Get Real Foundation and, and why did you and some friends start it? Yes. Um, so first of all, real um, stands for resilience, empathy, authenticity, and love. And um, as my, it was Jenny Lynn Pryor and I had both kind of been going through some difficult times and both of us went through a deep depression. And during that time, we realized these were kind of the tools and the resources that we used to rise above that, get out of it. And we looked around and noticed that a lot of people were struggling just like we had. And uh, so I guess it kind of started because that was the resource that we wished we had had during that time. And just, we both had had some instances of perfectionism and shame and things like that, that we realized not serving other people. Both of us also have had people who died by suicide who were close to us. And we realized that this was part of the issue um, as well. Our church leaders as well have been talking a lot about perfectionism. And so we realized that we had something to offer and um, it's just the right time for it. There's a lot of divisiveness and we really, focused on compassion and belonging and, and loving at this time, being more united. That's great. Uh, and, and can you tell us a little bit about how the Get Real Foundation addresses those issues? Yeah, so our, it's kind of, um, at this point, is kind of a movement. We're going to use lots of different facets to tackle that. Right now, we've got a Facebook and um Instagram sites, but we also have paired with some movies that have great real content. Um, we've done some podcasts on issues that are, are very real that people um, are needing to be more authentic about so that they're not feeling shame. In the future, we hope to do retreats and um, we hope to get a book published. I mean, just lots of different ways to reach out and help people during this time. As you know, Amy, we, uh, we work with mid-singles in our organization, and uh, we know you're a recently divorced mid-single also, mm -hmm. uh, and we address some of the same issues, albeit from a different angle. 
so talk to us about the emotions you went through as you contemplated divorce and, and ultimately went through that experience. Mm, yeah, great question. Um, so, you know, none of us get married to get divorced, right? <laughs> none of us think that that's going to happen. Um, Dave and that I were the same me. way, right? Yeah, um, we, you know, I, I was married in, in my church in the temple, at which is forever, you know, what I was thinking. And um, so I think, you know, we had uh, several years, probably about 13 years where he was um, in a sort of a faith transition. I think he did, he wouldn't want me to use the word crisis. So I'm trying to respect what the way that he would see it. And um, for a while, it was kind of up and down and, and him still trying to figure out what he believed and me trying to help, you know, and there just came a point where we realized that we both just had very different core beliefs and we were on two different paths. And, um, you know, there, there are always gonna be a lot of emotions all at once, right? Because we started off as best friends. And so it was a really difficult decision to make just even based on that, we, we're still very close friends. And, um, but we both realized that neither of us were progressing anymore uh, the way that things were because he didn't feel he could progress on my path and I didn't feel he, I could progress on his path. And the kids were kind of being pulled both ways. And so we both, um, you know, really believe in you either show up in love or in fear. We both did have kind of that fear of well, what if we don't find someone else or what if this is more than the kids can handle or more than we can handle. But at the end of the day, as you know, I fasted and prayed and, and because those are the ways that I handle things, you know, went to the temple. I felt that this was the most loving thing to do for all of us. And um, part of what we had always done in our relationship is that we always worked on things as we went. And so we didn't have a lot of baggage, if that makes sense, uh, to right. deal with at that point. It was just dealing with the divorce itself mostly. Right. And um, so after we realized, okay, what's the most loving thing? This is the most loving thing, even though it's hard and it's not what we planned. Um, how can we transition into making co-parenting the most loving thing? Right. How can we both take the high road? And I understand that um, when I tell this to people that a lot of people can't do that because their spouse isn't willing to take the high road. And so I, uh, you know, I'm not about shame at all, as you know. Um, so this is just in our situation, we were both willing to take the high road. So that was very helpful. And so we didn't go to court with lawyers and you know, we just looked at the situation and said, what do the kids need? Okay, uh, I'm going to take custody. That's what they need. And, you know, you're going to get this and I'm going to get this. And we just tried to be very fair with each other. Um, and because it, that is best that if you're going to, you know, I think a lot of people, they get divorced and they don't realize, you know, you're really going to be dealing with this person <laughs> for a long time. If you've got kids, especially, and, um, that is try true. to keep that as positive as you can, you know, and that was our goal. And we still have frustrations once in a while, but we, we still um, just work through it together. Looking back at your relationship in the beginning, did you feel that you had similar belief systems then? Yeah. So our, our situation was um, kind of unique in that I, I would say that I sort of introduced him to my beliefs more and he had what we would call a quote unquote conversion. Um, and so he really wanted to take that path with me for a, for a while, for years, you know, um, and neither of us regret it. He, I mean, if you asked him, he would tell you, that it helped him and it helped me. You know, we both kind of worked through our, the shadow parts of ourselves on this path. We don't regret it. We, we've got two beautiful children. 
I think um, maybe I was a little too strict and he loosened me up and maybe he was a little too not, not as disciplined and I helped him be more disciplined. Um, we, we see what we've gained from it. And we see that, you know, he just got to a point where he no longer believed. We, we can't force yourself. Right. How long were you married, Amy? 17 years. So quite a, quite an, a lengthy marriage. And, and we yes. know about that. Yes. Um, another question, and I, I was going to ask you what the role of faith was in, in coping with the, the crisis, but I think you've at least touched on that, but feel mm -hmm. free to expound on that more. I also want to ask you, do you have moments where the faith didn't seem like enough, where it, you know, you were in real pain, even if you were in the celestial room in the temple or, you know, what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So good question. Yeah. I would say, um, especially at the beginning of his faith transition, I was angry, <laughs> you know, right. I, I was really, you know, and then I went through depression and, um, I'd say that I went through maybe all the stages of grief over it. Um, and that, I would say that, that, that took years and we went, we both went through the phase of, well, I'm going to try to change you and you're going to try to change me. You know, um, right. he went through the phase of trying to convince me about my religion. And, and we just both got to the point where we realized that that is not helpful. That's not the most loving thing. And um, we learned, you know, we learned and we grew. And for me personally, what it took for me uh, to keep my strength through the depression and everything that was going on is I started to go to the temple every day and I would go inside and I don't, is your audience mostly Latter-day Saint or faith? -based A lot of it. Or? Yeah. Okay. So that that's where I worship. And so I went in and it, when I would walk in, I would just feel all the weight come off of me for that moment. And I would just go get filled up with light. And then I'd go back out and go deal with it again. And so for me, my faith was very critical, that kind of personal relationship with Christ for me, um, was and just the the teachings of loving that love being love of god and love of self and love of others those three things i think keep us grounded i went to the temple a lot during my divorce and i can really relate with what you're saying did you ever get any spiritual impressions that helped you in the process the guidance yeah, the guidance. I would say every day I I would go to the temple and then I would try to kind of tune into God and what God was wanting me to do. And I would write it down every day um, and just feel, OK, what's my next step? What's my next step? And I think that for me, I'd like to say that I do really believe in marriage and internal marriage. And I do believe it's very important to give everything you've got. And both he and I did do that. I think if someone is questioning, well, should I just move on? Um, we, we struggled with that for many years and I don't regret that. I think if, if it had worked out, that would have been great, right? It, but it would have been best for both of us and the kids. We just reached a point where God kind of said, you know, you're released. You guys aren't um, in this situation as it is now. All the things that you've learned have been great, but now it's time to move on and learn something else. One of the, the things, I want to get back in a minute to what you've learned, but one of the things that, that I experienced, and I just want to ask you about it uh, for the benefit of our listeners, when I was going through my divorce, I, I woke up every day feeling like I had been kicked in the stomach, and mm -hmm. I carried that around all day long, and I took it to bed every night, and it was relentless. And it was an actual physical pain. It wasn't just something I dreamed up, you know, it was actually a feeling I had and it lasted for quite some time. I mean, I, for me, it was several years. Mm -hmm. um, do you relate to that experience? I relate to that, but for me, I think it was during all the years we were struggling right? because we would go up and down and say, okay, is this time to divorce now? No, we don't want to, we love each other, you know? Um, so I would say by the time I got to the actual divorce, there was some of that for me, but 
I had already worked through You'd a done lot your of grieving it. already. And just yes, and just knew that it was time for everyone. And I guess I was more focused on okay, how do I help the kids now? How do I transition into dating? Um, and I, you know, the the moment I was divorced, I was on dating apps looking. I, I did wait until then, but um, and and that doesn't mean that I didn't still love him. It just means that I both of us were just ready to look and see if there was something else that would match better at that point. Right. I think that's a very good place to just say, I think the journey is a little different for each person that approaches mm -hmm. divorce, because for some, the day their partner announces that they're done is when that person begins grieving and the other person's already grieved. Right. Or, and, and I was in, in that cases. situation myself. And mm -hmm. I remember my heart hurting. It wasn't in my stomach. It was in my heart. I felt like I yeah. could breathe for mm -hmm. a while. And I'd get on my knees when I felt almost like dying. And yes, I'm wondering, is your, was your depression, obviously it was situational. Was it also clinical? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And I would say partly from living here in Utah, I grew up in, the and like a sea level place and then the elevation as we know now um, can really affect people and makes that worse for me so it's something that does get triggered situationally but i also do have to deal with it on a chemical level you know with regard to the depression issue that kathy just alluded to and you've been very open about having struggled mm -hmm. with that uh did did how much did you rely on friends and family during that period well uh, i mean complete i would say completely <laughs> on friends you know um, because the struggle was with family so and you know i didn't want to rely on my children and and dave and i were struggling with our different beliefs so i really did have to reach out to friends who had similar beliefs and um, to talk through kind of the spiritual things and the maybe sort of the paradigm that I have that was different. And part of the grieving was not being able to talk to my best friend the way that I had been able to in the past. And to, to make that transition was, was difficult and, and it made me sad. And I, there were other things that had compounded to cause the depression, including um, infertility. We had done a year and a half of infertility treatments and that was really when the deep depression started when we didn't we weren't able to have a child after all that effort yeah i can i can relate to to a lot of that and and i think kathy too definitely i uh i'm wondering what would you say to our listeners if they're experiencing depression themselves whether it's clinical or situational what can they do uh, besides seeing a doctor which we're not to help themselves in this situation? Um, I would say, you know, part of the reason we started the Get Real Foundation was because of this, because I had had depression on and off and it was kind of a shameful thing to me. I am a recreation therapist or a therapeutic recreation specialist. And I was sort of used to being the one to help people, right? And so to actually need it myself the way I did, um, that was sort of shameful to me. And some of the people that I talked to didn't help that, <laughs> that stigma, yeah. right? And so I would say, go to a group like Get Real Foundation, get a community where people help you not to feel shame, first of all, right? Oh, for sure. And so that you can just own it and be okay. Very, many, many people right now, especially with the pandemic, have depression. Many people go through depression and other mental illnesses in their life. This is not a shameful thing. This is yeah. just part of people get sick. For and sure. I would say first that, you know, get through the shame of it. Then my, be my only, oh, sorry. Keep going. My only regret about going to, to counseling for anxiety when I did was that I hadn't done it 10 years earlier. Honestly. Right. Exactly. Yes. And for me, a medication was critical. I, and I, I would just say, you know, get, in, get the ID genetics test because it will tell you which 
medications work with your chemistry. There was only one that worked for me. I could have gone through 20 that wouldn't have worked. So I would just say it's worth it. Get it. Um, you can get that from your doctor or psychiatrist. If you're going to go the medication route, I would say if you are, please don't be ashamed of that. It, sure. it was night and day for me. And That's then adding brilliant advice. Therapy, I never yeah. even heard of that before. That's wonderful. Yeah. You were able to avoid all that trial and error. Because you can get the wrong medication that can make you feel more suicidal or whatever, right? Right. So make sure. sure it's the right thing for you. That's great. And, you know, that's actually why we started Love in Later Years as well. And we're finding that people in a community that have experienced similar situations help each other not to feel so alone. Yes, exactly. And, and my friends, I relate to what you said, because my faith and my mm -hmm. friends really were the two things that got me through those difficult years. Yes. And family too, but um, especially peers, you know, we, we my still family didn't <laughs> understand. Yeah. You know, we still need our my, peers. My yeah. parents, I mean, they'd had no experience with it. Right. Um, one more quick thing on, on uh, the struggle you went through in the depression what gave you hope and did you learn anything about the power of thoughts? Yeah, I think that the hope came from my direct relationship to God because um, there were moments in my, how deep my depression was that I could not feel love at all from anybody, even God, but I always felt God there. And, and, and I have, since the time I was very little, I've been very close to God. And so I would say that when the bleakest, darkest, whatever is there, I've, I always have that. No matter what, if you have that one-on-one -on -one relationship, you can get through anything. Right. And, and what did you learn, if anything, about and, the power of thought? The power of thought, I definitely had to... Um, especially before I got the medication, I was really struggled with, um, okay, I've got to change the way that I'm thinking, you know? And so I did, I struggled and I struggled and I struggled. And by the time I got on the medication, it was like, whoo, <laughs> regular feeling normal is great, right? Like, it's funny how we're taught that our weaknesses can become strengths because really that's what happened with my struggle to change my thoughts. It was so hard at first, but then once it, you know, I, the, the sort of situation changed suddenly having good positive thoughts was much easier. And now it's really, I'm usually happy most of the time now, whereas before I was usually sad most of the time. Can you give us a couple of examples of the kind of new thoughts you adopted that you hadn't been used to thinking before that, that helped that emotional life to change yeah so especially it's kind of the real concepts right um that that empathy having empathy for yourself mm -hmm. Brene Brown talks a lot about the way to get over shame is to share your story to someone who has empathy and I think that I had to find people that I felt I could share with it's kind of the you're only sick as your secrets thing if you, even if it's just one person, if you can share your story that fills you with shame to someone who has empathy, you can climb out of that. Mm -hmm. And then also being authentic, realizing perfectionism is so destructive. Nobody's perfect. Nobody has to look perfect. It's actually better if you can share your struggles with people because you can all work together and become edified together. And so and then just the other part of the real concept, the love that we talk about is love of God first, then self, then others. So with that, you have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with God that fills you up with his perfect love, his or her, you know, heavenly parent, perfect love. And then you will feel more love for yourself, which can then overflow to other people. If you try to do it in another way, it doesn't work as well any other way. So that is so interesting because you just listed three of our podcasts in the exact same order as Oh, that's happened. awesome. I love it. It's true. 
Yeah, and, and I think talking about the authenticity, which you mentioned just a moment ago, is a great way for us to transition into talking about dating. And okay. you mentioned earlier in this episode that that transitioning to dating was one of the issues that you faced and, you know, worries about that and so on. And I, so I want to throw out sort of a general question and you can take this where you want to, but what, what are the principles, if any, that you follow in dating now? Okay. Yeah. So I think um, both Dave and I were worried about that <laughs> because we were so close, right? We're like, how are we ever going to find someone that we're that close to again? Um, but the foundational thing that we did in the beginning was that we started off as friends. And so I kind of said, you know, if I'm going to find this again in this way where we can divorce and still be so close and still be friends like this, um, if I can find another relationship like that, but just with someone who has my beliefs, I need to start with friendship as the foundation again. And so I, you know, I tried going to in-person activities that didn't work for me. I found that I, online dating was best for me. I got on a few apps and I, my goal was just, I'm gonna make some friends. I'm gonna start talking to people. I'm not gonna take it too quickly. I'm, uh, you know, eventually we can meet up but I'm not gonna go right into the, let's go make out on the, <laughs> you know, what I've met you yesterday and let's start into the physical right away. I been warned a lot about rebounding right a lot of people have those rebounds right afterwards and a rebound marriage and it I just knew that wasn't what I wanted either so um I just matched with as many people as I could and started talking and let people know that was sort of my approach um and then in time getting to know people it kind of led me to the people I was more like you know and at this point I am dating um, but I am still taking it very slowly and just focusing on that friendship first. That's really smart. I actually took a class and read the book, how to avoid marrying a jerk. And it has <laughs> the sliding scale actually of what you want to have established before moving to the next step and you're doing it in order. It's great. Oh, great. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and, and I, Keep in mind, our audience is pretty much an adult audience. But, yes. <laughs> so I'm asking a sensitive question, and if you don't want to answer it, you don't have That's to. That's fine. But, but how do you feel about adjusting to celibacy, and how has that, you know, has that worked for you? Oh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we relate to that. We, we that That's the detail. one part that I hate. Uh, but, you know, I, it's a part of my belief system, and so... I, I also believe in doing hard things and um, it's just one of those kind of necessary things that I believe will keep me close to God. And I trust that God will help me figure it out as I go. Takes a lot of patience, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> and I think as you have done it as a matter of choice is what, what I'm hearing. Exactly. Uh, yes. That it's less of a burden than, you know, if it's like, hey, this is a moral decision I've made it's it's a less serious kind of challenge than if you feel like it was imposed upon you by somebody. Yes, and again, I just know that you don't make strong relationships by doing that. You know, you have you need to get that friendship foundation first. And then at the right time, it becomes this beautiful thing. And I just you know, I've done that before and I believe that that's the best way. And so that really isn't a question to me, but sure. I don't think anybody likes it. <laughs> well, we, we didn't like it. Um. <laughs> Not one bit, <laughs> but it did help to own the decision and have it be yeah. a meaningful one. Right. What, uh, what are you looking for when it comes to you know, in a future relationship? What is, what is your vision of that? Well, because um, I already had such a great relationship with Dave and still do, um, really the thing that got in our way was just core beliefs and spirituality that, you know, the way that we see spirituality. He's a spiritual person in a different way than I am. And so I would just say that that is probably the most important thing that I'm looking for is what 
was it that didn't work <laughs> the first right. time? Uh, we worked really well when we were on the same page, but then when that changed, that was a huge struggle. And so for me, uh, that is number one for me that I'm looking for. So you want Same that beliefs. plus the friendship you had with him. Is that what I'm understanding? Exactly. Yep. I already know it works. So that's wonderful. When you find and date people of your same religion, what have you noticed about your belief systems that might be different from each other, even if you share the same religion? Oh, yeah. Um, that, yeah, that's a good point. Because one thing that I did learn from my first marriage was you can't change people, right? There, there are so many things that we have that are different, that are nuanced. I don't expect, um, you know, hey, how do we handle Sundays? Or, hey, how do we, you know, what are our, our weaknesses? We're going to have some different weaknesses and strengths. And um, I, this time around, I am not expecting, like we did the first time, try, just trying to change each other. I'm going to look for what can I handle from the beginning um, understanding what the weaknesses are and are those things that I can deal with and just be loving and kind and support them as God helps them change, right? That's kind of God's mm -hmm. role. And um, we can encourage each other. We might need to um, compromise, but actually changing someone and their, you know, their personality is going to be really hard. Yeah, Amy, I thought going into my first marriage that uh, I could have enough love for both of us. Yeah. That, you know, and I found out that it doesn't work that way. You, you know, you talk about people both giving 110%, but mm -hmm. I can only do my 50% of my relationship with Kathy and she can only do her 50%, you know, she, and sure being loved is a transforming thing in a way, but but one person really can't have enough love for two. You've got to do your half of the relationship the best you can and, and uh, hope the other person will too. And understanding that we're all at different places and learning different things and that's okay. It's okay for yeah. us to have different strengths and weaknesses. You know, I don't have to judge someone else the way I would look at myself and expect something from me if, that, if that's easier for me, you know? Right. Um, so, so you said that you're looking mostly, you know, the number one thing is someone who you share that common belief system with, and, and then also you, you would like to have a friendship like you had with your first husband. Um, one thing we hear all the time from mid-singles, especially mid-single women, is there are no good men out there. So what is your experience with that? Um, I, I can understand, especially a Latter-day Saint audience, um, that it is harder to find. Be you know, it is. I, I think a lot of the guys tend to be taking a different path. But I also don't agree with that. I've found lots of nice, good guys. And, you know, maybe they're not going to have 100%. And I can promise you they're not going to have 100% of what you're looking for. But we need to um, really focus on those things that are most important. And I just, I don't believe that. I've, I've seen plenty of good guys. It's interesting you would say focus on what's most important because in our book, we have a chapter dedicated to what are you looking for and how to narrow it down to the most important things. Because if you have a big long list you'll, that will never be satisfied, you likely won't be able to move in the direction you want if you really want to get remarried and be in a relationship and a partnership. But if you focus on the things that are really important, then, then you can get what you really need and work the rest out. I agree. I mean, look, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not expecting someone else to be, right? I, I want to be treated with grace and, and loved um, as I am. And so I get to do that too. That's wonderful. Right. Our book that's coming out this fall, it's just by the way, it's called Intentional Courtship. So it's great that we're talking okay, to you about your intentions and your own courtship path. Yes. Wonderful. And, and speaking of priorities, this is a little twist on that, but how would you prioritize God, spouse, kids, work, um, you know, those basic core things in your life? I would say if you put God first, you usually know what else 
to is to be done. And you can give like yourself kind of general rules, like God, self and others or God, self plus spouse plus kids or whatever. But really it comes down to what is the spirit telling me to do right now? Who needs my attention right now? And I think if you're partner is on the same page that God always comes first, those things tend to just work themselves out. And you have a closer relationship naturally if you're both trying to serve God, I've found. Yeah, Kathy and I, and, and she can chime in on this too, but we we have um, we both had the priority order, God, self, spouse, kids. Uh, but we've also observed that, you know, it's going to be hard to focus on God or spouse if you got a crying baby at the moment. Right. Exactly and what I'm saying. Yes. So it's kind exactly. of like spinning those plates, you know, you mm-hmm. circus act. Um, and being with someone who understands that and doesn't get, you know, possessive and jealous when you've got to go take care of your responsibilities with kids or whatever. And just um, if you're doing your best to care about them and help take care of their needs, they're, hopefully they're not going to feel that lack. Right. And so it's kind of got to be an overall sense of priority, I think, rather than in each and every moment, which one right. are you going, because that, that will be situational. I agree. Um, and Kathy, did you want to chime in on that at all? Okay. Um, I agree. A lot of people yeah. say that they hate dating. And I, I I didn't hate dating. I mean, there were moments that were hard, but but mm-hmm. the question, I guess, is, you know, a lot of people say they hate dating. And I think a lot of them are talking about the drama that sometimes happens and, you know, the mm-hmm. also the pain of being rejected here and there and, you know, the things that go along with that. So what is your experience with that? And, and what is your mindset when it comes to, to dating? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I don't hate dating. I I mean, I think that that comes from expectations. And I think that um, we really need to not have expectations of people, like that they're going to make us happy, or I'm looking for my quote unquote, other half, you know, I think sometimes those phrases can give us the wrong um, idea about what how we should be approaching it. Um, I'm not looking for someone to make me happy. That's between God and me. I am looking for someone to have a friendship with that, you know, we can add to each other's lives. And every time you date someone, it's probably not going to work out until that final person, right? So I guess you just need to know what you want, but also enjoy, just try to enjoy it, not have too many expectations, keep in mind what your goal is and kind of go by the spirit. And, um, at any time you, you may be told or feel to move on and that's fine. Like that's just part of the process, I think, and not feeling it as rejection more than just, Oh, that one didn't work out for whatever reason. It doesn't really matter. Let's go on to the next, you know, right. It sounds like you take, really good responsibility for your own emotional well-being right yes on the point you just made one of the things that i sometimes found with dating partners is that they really wanted to know the answer really quickly about whether i was the one or not Mm -hmm. and i think that puts a lot of pressure on a brand new dating relationship when somebody's running off to the temple real quick and Mm -hmm. prayers and wanting immediate revelation and Sometimes I think you got to do the right. work, you know, you got to get to know the other mm-hmm. person first before you start asking the ultimate question. Ha, 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 yeah. And I think that happens you? when you focus on just one person too quickly, maybe, yeah. maybe just get to know a few people first and, yeah. um, you know, um, kind of wait for that uh, so that you don't get into that rebound marriage again. I was a big fan of dating a lot of people until I really felt like I could potentially marry someone. And that got me into trouble sometimes because I could be getting close to more than one person at a time and then things would get complicated and messy, but I still feel that it was healthy for me to keep my options open until I really saw potential. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying like, you know, run around making out with everyone out that's the same time. Just get to know people and, and you'll know when it's right to kind of focus on one person for a time and, and see if that's going to turn into more. But you've already got that solid friendship foundation. So it's just an easier transition. Jeff and I dated each other for a few months and then we, we transitioned to friendship for an entire year. And that was really good for us because when we got back together, we had a really strong foundation. Oh, that's amazing. One more question on dating. Um, And it's pretty general. So you can kind of throw in anything and everything that you want with this, but what do you feel can make dating a more positive experience? You know, for the people who say, I hate dating or mm-hmm. whatever, it's just a game. What, what, how could we make it a more positive experience? Um, maybe just find some new things that you want to try and go have fun. And it's kind of that mm. quote unquote adult time, you know, that yeah. maybe you need away from the kids and again, don't put so many expectations on it. You don't really don't need to do that. And what I found is a lot, most people are pretty slow because they've had, they've been hurt. They're naturally going slowly. Just enjoy it. Just don't, uh, don't say, Oh, I've got to figure out right now if I'm going to, you know, marry this person, just enjoy it more. And, and um, look at as time away from the kids and the burdens and um, you know, just have fun. You know, Amy, I, I uh, totally agree with that. And I think, I think, you know, as I look back on my mid-single years, it, both Kathy and I were, were single for the better part of a decade. And, but I look at a lot of the relationships I had and the women that I dated, and I, I think very positively a lot about them. A lot of those women are still friends of mine on Facebook. Some of them are friends with my kids on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And things and most like of that. them have become friends with me. Yeah, some of them are friends with Kathy. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's and great. I, even though that, you know, those didn't work out to be the, the person I married, I had a lot of fun with those people and, yeah. you know, learned from them and got yeah. to know amazing people. So I, I like what you're saying there about have fun with it, even if you don't know yet if this is the person you're going to marry, you know? Well, and they seem yeah, to and have fun learning us what they, what we needed to know, even in coming together with each other mm-hmm. and and I would say to be open and honest with everybody so that Ooh. there's not confusion about wait a second you know this or that just definitely let everyone know where you're at then they can they get to choose if they're comfortable with that or not right I mean I think you know here's a little funny example but somebody tells you they love you and it's the third date and you're not ready to say that I think it's <laughs> fine to say, you know, I'm not quite there yet, but I like you and you're cool and let's see where it goes, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's going to be a little deflating to them, but you, uh, you know, you're being honest and letting them know where you are. Yeah. That's and you can't be responsible for their expectations, you know? Right. right. You can be kind. You can be kind. And I think that's important. Kind and uh, authentic, you know. like your real yeah, kind and authentic. Yeah. Right. But they've got to own their feelings and you've got to own yours and you know, we're, we're mature adults, hopefully at this point, and that that's, it's different this time around, I think in that way. Yeah. We, we've got approximately 20 minutes left and we wanted to kind of transition into talking about parenting, but I think a good bridge is the question, how do you involve the kids in your dating life? How soon, you know, do you have a policy or an <laughs> idea about how soon you introduce partners to your children? Mm-hmm and how, how you go about that. Okay. So, um, in our specific situation, I'm pretty close to my kids and, and they're teenagers. So, um, what I've told them, uh, it's kind of funny is just, you have veto power. So I don't want them feeling uncomfortable with my situation. They, at this point, they do come before anyone else because I'm not married. Right. So um, that just kind of, and, and that's, that's just me. I'm not saying everyone has to do that. Right. But in my situation, I felt good about it. And for them, that kind of just gives them this, 
okay, ease. Because one of the big hard things about divorce is they're running wild with what is this going to look like for me? I'm mom's going to marry this person that I hate and they're going to treat me badly. Right. Um, so it kind of just takes that away from them. And then I would say for me, I ask them, what are you comfortable with? Are you comfortable with me talking about this? And one of my kids is more comfortable than the other. So with the other, I just give them space. And, um, the one that wants to talk, they get to ask questions if they want to ask questions. I personally, um, if they're going to meet someone, I would have them meet, you know, in the friend phase when we're just friends so that it's comfortable for them. Um, and then I would just wait until they're ready for something more talking with them the whole way. Like, how do you feel about this person? Who's my friend, you know? Um, and if they've met more than one person, then it's not so much pressure, right? It's just, they can just kind of think about it and say, Hmm, I don't want, I wouldn't want to move there or I wouldn't, you know, just thinking about the future. Um, but also letting them know, I'm not going to do anything hasty. It, it, it will be a while before, you know, that kind of transition comes up. And I've just found that for the kids, they are really happy to be involved in conversation if they feel like they're in control of what they get to say, what, what we're talking about, if they meet or the person or not. Like, I just really believe in empowering them and helping them be part of the process. Wonderful. How old are your kids? I've got a 16 year old and a 13 year old. You know, I think my approach was similar to yours, not exactly the same, but, mm -hmm. but my kids were teenagers also. And, and so I asked them at the outset, I said, I think I'm going to start dating again and eventually get married. Would you rather be involved with the women I date early on? Or do you want me to mm -hmm. wait until I'm serious with someone? And they both said they wanted to be involved early on. And I thought they were old enough to kind of know their own minds about that. And yeah. not confused that every girl I brought home I was going to marry right um, and I now I took a little bit different approach I told him you don't have a vote <laughs> in who okay and that works for you and you that was know, my policy is different yeah I I did say I will listen to anything you have to say and take it seriously mm -hmm. yeah and, and I always did uh but I said I'm ultimately gonna marry who I choose and sure just like you're gonna marry who you choose and I'm not gonna have a vote in who you marry mm -hmm. Right. You'll listen to my counsel too, but yes. Uh, but I think the important thing is that you're very clear in your expectations with your kids mm -hmm. when it comes to that. Right. Right. I had two young boys, young enough mm -hmm. that I couldn't really ask them and have them know what I was even talking right. about. Right. Yeah. Except for my oldest, did say when he was about four, "Don't worry, mom. There'll be plenty of fish in the sea." <laughs> <laughs> Encourage. Oh, that's anyway, cute. Yeah, it was very cute and. I actually erred on the side of introducing them early for the point that you made. It made things less serious and less stressful for them. Right. If mom's yeah. Friends. And mm -hmm. they're always very welcoming. And they so were on, to me too. They were, they were awesome. Yeah. And on the rare occasion that they, they said something contrary or that they didn't feel comfortable. I listened because they just, they really didn't say that about everyone. Mm -hmm. blanket statement I felt that they were very sincere if they had any concerns and it wasn't very often yeah well and the the thing about my situation that may be different is that I have custody of my kids and so they're with me all the time and um it's just what as I prayed about it what I felt would work for us um they're pretty open and they wouldn't just like veto veto you know right <laughs> so they're they're fair and i'm fair and, and so far it's worked pretty well it's great so a amy have you and your former husband been able to put the religious issues that are between you that you know that were that came in the way of your marriage have you been able to put those behind you in terms of not having them interfere with the co-parenting relationship Oh, yes. Um, and Dave is very supportive um, because he did allow me to have full custody, which he didn't have to do. He took the high road there and he knew that when we um, first married, that that was part of the deal was that, you know, um, that, that my religion is what would be taught. He, he has a lot of um, 
respect and I respect him that he was willing to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to support you. Even though I don't live those things, um, I will support the standards of it. And he sees that the standards are great for raising kids, even if he doesn't agree with where that comes from exactly. Um, he did grow up in the same religion. And so he sees and still has respect for it, which is great. That doesn't always happen. And like I said, he kind of did go through a time where, you know, he was looking at the harder things. But at this point, we have um, talked through all those things to a point where he's just respectful and supportive. Um, at the same time, our agreement is once they become adults, of course, he can talk whatever he wants to about to them about. How, how oh, sorry. sorry, no, go ahead, Kathy. I just had a question about how your kids have done after the divorce versus before you said they were being pulled in different directions. How do, how do you feel that mm -hmm. it's impacted them for the decision you made to do the loving thing, take the high road and mm -hmm. have support them in, in your religious activity? Yeah, so um, I would say that it has been helpful to them to just be clear, like when they're with me, it's this way. And, and right now I'm living with my parents and they, they have the same religion I do. So it's just a lot easier. Um, they don't have the pulling back and forth at, at least here. And then when they go over there, um, if I'm not there, I, you know, obviously it's just what, how Dave wants to be. But the good thing is that he's not trying to talk them out of anything, that kind of thing. Both of us have kind of agreed to, uh, I, I am having them grow up in my religion, but at the same time, we allow them choice. And so um, forcing is not, you know, something that we do or lightly at all. Um, so yeah, I would say the kids are doing better. There are still some challenges, especially with one of them is trying to figure out, okay, what do I believe? And that's just gonna happen. You know, right. um, so we're patient. We're both just focused on loving them and helping them be healthy, have healthy habits. You know, um, yeah, it's it's worked out better. There's still some kinks to get through, but yeah, it has definitely been better. That's wonderful. And you're allowing their agency and I'm sure they really appreciate that too. Mm -hmm. And Dave and I are both healthier ourselves because we both feel that we can follow you know, our own paths unimpeded. And so that helps them too. Good. How, how have you dealt with, um, and I, I know you mentioned that you personally struggled with this in the decision to get divorced and all of that, but the implications of course, in our faith for divorce is in a way like splitting a forever family. And mm -hmm. so how have your kids dealt with that idea and you know has there been discussion about um we're still a family we're going to be a forever family somehow i mean what what has been the discussion around that and how has it worked for you um that's a good question um i guess i haven't really focused on that part of it as much just because it's not something that i could control right uh you know and so I've just focused on, well, eventually I'm going to remarry someone who also believes what I do, but we definitely have handled things as we are still a family. In fact, we're going to, you know, have a vacation where all of us are there. Uh, the, the accommodations are going to look a little bit different, but um, we're very focused on still doing things together. Uh, mom and dad have a little bit different relationship but we are still a family and that is important for both Dave and I. And we're grateful that we can do that because not everybody can, you know, some That's people amazing. hate their former spouse and I get why. Well, you know, and you both chose that. Yeah. I, I would have liked something more like that, but I don't mm -hmm. have that choice because both yes. people have to choose into that. Right. Have you seen that movie, the Santa Claus? Uh, yeah, I think so. Is that Tim Allen or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And toward yeah. the end of the movie, he's, he's, um, he says to Charlie, we're a family. Charlie's the little boy. I think it's Charlie. Anyway, 
we're a family, Charlie, me, you, your mom, and then he sort of gulps and says, and Neil, who is the stepdad. Uh, and, yeah. And I remember seeing that around the time I was getting divorced and thinking, you know, that's what I would like it to be like, mm -hmm. uh, where we're all family, maybe me and my former wife have a different relationship than we used to, mm -hmm. but I wanted to, to feel like we could be mature and make it work. And, and we do now. I mean, mm -hmm. it's taken us 10 years uh, yeah. to get to the point and we're not close or anything, but I'll send her mm -hmm. a text and wish her happy Mother's Day. Right. You know, our son's wedding, when I saw her and hadn't seen her in a while, I gave her a hug, you know, mm -hmm. um, and we have taken one of our sons on a trip together one, one time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wanted that as well. And it's taken us a long time to get to the point where that could actually be real, but. And that's something I appreciate, actually. I know mm -hmm. some, some new spouses might have take issue with that, but I personally am very supportive and I think that's a wonderful way to be. And I uh -huh. think what you are doing with Dave is amazing. Well, and it's not always easy. Like, um. Dave has uh, someone that he's dating and I, I will text her once in a while. We're super positive with each other and always have been. Uh, we try to take the high road with each other and try to be classy. There, there was some pain to work through at the beginning just because of losing that relationship that I had for so long. But I've found that as I just push through the, you know, the, the pain that's going to be there and try to take the high road, try to be loving and supportive of whoever is new that enters that it just makes things better it's there everything's going to be hard but it's a i guess an easier hard or more more positive peaceful yeah have you have you encouraged your kids to have a relationship with their dad yes oh definitely i i figured but i thought i i had to ask yep. how do you deal with a different set of rules in the two households or you know, and obviously there's a religious difference there, but mm -hmm. how do you guys cope with that? Um, I've had to just kind of loosen up a bit at the same time and, you know, just say, well, I can do what I can at my place. Um, at the same time, I do have custody. And so my rules probably take precedence a little bit more. And like I said, Dave has been wonderful about just being supportive. He may have a different motivation than I do with the religion in there. But um, I also have to just say, you know, the way that he upholds them is gonna be a little bit different and I've just gotta be okay, you know, and um, give it to God What's and, and have peace, control. you know, do all I can and then give it, give it to God. I think that's a very healthy attitude to, to accept the things you can't change and, and worry about the things you can affect. Well, not even worry, just yeah, I mean, do deal what you with. can. Right. Um, and it's been, I mean, it's been taken a while to get to that point, but we're, you know, we're getting there. So we want to give you the last word. And before, uh, before we close up, is there anything else on any subject you'd just like to throw out to, to our audience? Um, yeah, I just wanted to let everyone know, we talked a little bit about the Get Real Foundation. And we have our kickoff event is gonna to be tomorrow from 10 a.m. to noon. If you go to getrealfoundation.org, you can find the event link and sign up. We'd love to have everyone there. It's free. Uh, we'll be talking about more about the resilience, empathy, authenticity, and love of God's self and others. The theme of it is stop and love. Right now we've got a lot of divisiveness and, um, you know, shame and depression we we gotta figure this out together that's wonderful we plan to be there we're excited to yay join you <laughs> yeah and any of our listeners that happen to hear this podcast after that event is over i think there's still a lot of good stuff with get real that you can avail yourself of uh going forward so you can still join, check it out they can yeah and we group. will record it too oh that's wonderful yes okay. come to our facebook group um get real foundation we'd love to have you and we're a safe community you're going to be loved <laughs> all right fascinating discussion today uh with our friend uh amy nielsen Biesing, Biesinger, and uh 
we we thank you for coming and uh, hope we'll have you on again sometime. All right, would love to. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Remember that any time is a good time for more love in your life. Thanks so much for listening.